I bring to you grace and peace from God our Father through our Lord and our Savior Jesus. The text for today is from Matthew's Gospel and as we come to this word, let's bow our hearts and our heads in prayer. Gracious God, change is ever at work in our lives. Help us today to befriend change with, with the wise choosing of that social network of those friends who surround us. We pray for good friends, O oh God. Anchored to the greatest friend, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. I always like to make sure we're on the same page. Last week we started with a, uh, a statement, a simple two-line uh, sentence that uh, we should keep in mind. Sometimes we choose change. Sometimes change chooses us. You may not have noticed um, last week, but I want to underscore this week, the pronouns. It's we. It rarely is I. The change that we choose or the change that confronts us never comes to us in a vacuum. We're never alone in this world. The change that we choose is in some way, even if subconsciously or unconsciously, conditioned by the circle of friends, the power of association that we have around us. And whether we know it or not, that conditions whether or not we have courage to make changes that God is calling us to, to undergo spiritual transformation. We sense the Holy Spirit poking us toward, toward making. And so I just want to underscore for us today the importance of the social network that we have around us as we think about any kind of spiritually significant change. You never make change. You never, ever make change in a vacuum. And God help us when change chooses us, when circumstances come our way where we have to react and respond and we have to adjust the behaviors and patterns of our life in order to receive that change that has chosen us. God help us if we do not have, if we sense in our spirit that we lack a circle of friends that are there to go shoulder to shoulder, toe to toe with whatever it is that is in front of us. God help us if we don't have that network of friends. I think this is so critical, especially here in this particular Phoenix context, because if there is one absolute clarion call that I have heard from our new members that have entrusted the care of this soul, their soul to this church, if there is one request that I have heard from new members and that has been echoed by members of our congregation, perhaps many of you that have been here for a long time, it is this request. It seems such a plaintive, pitiful cry, but it is so on point for this Phoenix community. And that request is, help me get connected to others. Or to just put it more simply, help me make friends. This Phoenix community is characterized not by being a community that has been born and raised here like the community in St. Louis where I came from. This Phoenix community more than anything is characterized by folks that have gotten here from all different points in this world. I was at Fountain Hills Dog Park the other day with my dog Toby. Complete nutcase, by the way. Does anybody want a dog? That's uh, not for sale. Don't tell my wife I made that offer. And I'm sitting there and, and, and four dogs are running around and you know I'm just kind of standing there with some folks and we all find out we're all from Chicago. One from Highland Park, another from Elgin, 
Another from, I forget exactly where, but it was a great conversation, very meaningful. I had a cold at that point in time. I don't remember much. But, but everybody in that dog park was not from Fountain Hills, was not from Phoenix. And the, the implicit question that, that gets built out is, how am I going to make new friends? How am I going to set around us a social network that is helpful, positive, not just someone I can go out and have dinner with or maybe hit the links with, but someone who will be there with me. Like the friends I had perhaps growing up who, who I knew from the time I was in grade school that walked with me through high school who were with me in college and they were true friends, but boy, I wish I had friends like that now. See, we're at that point in our conversation around this change anything topic. How do we go about spiritual transformation where we're now looking at the social components of change? We're working through a book called Change Anything. It's a secular book, but with great spiritual significance, reinforced by a number of statements in Scripture regarding what it means to change. We've looked at a... Um, at, a, at a slide where we've, we've looked at a change matrix, individual, social, and structural components of change. And today we look specifically, we look specifically at that part of change that has to ask the question, who are the friends that are around us? Do they bring into our lives positive peer pressure? Or by the sheer force of numbers, do they have the skills and abilities to actually help us change? Are we outnumbered by the friends we have chosen when it comes to the positive changes we want to bring into our lives? You know, as a pastor, just to underscore this, I sit with people at the very most vulnerable parts and points of their life. And I'm not a professional counselor, but I do a fairly decent job of it, bluntly. And when I sit with people at those most vulnerable points of their life, there is one thing and one thing only that will cause me the greatest heartache as they leave my office and I return to my home. And that is when I'm confronting with them a season of change, and yet every evidence they give me is that they do not have a social network who is going to support them through this time of challenge, if not crisis. On the other side of the coin, there are few times in ministry that are so hopeful than when people come into my office or with whom I will counsel and not only will I see this overwhelming mountain of change that is in front of them, but simultaneously hear from them or see in their story a circle of protection, socially speaking, that is going to be there in order to help move them forward. And I come away knowing that they have got a fighting chance. They already are motivated. They are building the skills that they personally as individuals need in order to make change. But now they have a second supportive layer. And now I can feel good about the chance that they've got a fighting chance. It was uh, not so long ago that I went into Ethan's hospital room in St. Louis the day before, he had been brought in unconscious and basically dead from a heroin overdose. The opioid crisis is real. And when you know the faces of those that are going through it 
it becomes overwhelming. Because it's not just that you're a drug addict, it's that you're addicted to one of the most powerfully addictive drugs this world knows. And so we can talk all day long about individual motivation and skills and abilities in order to overcome that drug addiction, but unless that social network is there in two ways, I'll talk about that in a second, but unless that social network is there, I can almost guarantee, I can almost guarantee there will be relapse after relapse until you finally just give up the fight and die. It's true. And when I went into Ethan's hospital room, he was surrounded by his brother, his sister, his mom. And as he laid in that bed, ashamed, convicted, tears running down his cheek now as his pastor, similar age, walks into that room, he knew in his heart of hearts that he had all the motivation and that he would be availed of the skills and abilities that he needed to change personally. But the only thing, frankly, that gave me any hope at all that he had any chance in this world was the three people that sat in that room that day because they were committed to his change. And over the course of the following weeks, I saw repeatedly how those three key individuals poured their life into this brother and son in order for him to finally free himself of the bondage to drug addiction. And the second thing, he shed all the friends that he had that had gotten them, gotten him, had accompanied him, surrounded him to the point where he made decision after bad decision in order to get to that hospital room in the first place. See, the friends you choose are absolutely a critical part of the conversation when it comes to our spiritual transformation. I have no doubt, I have no doubt that in every one of your hearts, there is the motivation and there is even the ability to some lesser or greater degree to actually get after the spiritual calling that God is putting on your life right now. I have no doubt about that. But my next level question is this, who is surrounding your life? Are you on an island when it comes to these spiritual changes that God is calling forth from you? Or who is, who are those key players in your social network? See, this is where it comes down to church. And this is the whole test for whether or not this congregation will be esteemed by God as being a true place of spiritual transformation. Whether or not we are willing to actually make friends with new people that come through the door, not just the old people that have been sitting around us for years. And, and that's, I'm not saying old in terms of age. I'm just saying the people that are most familiar. That's all I'm saying. So don't, I, I wasn't trying to be offensive there. But the people that we are most familiar with are not just the people that are entrusting their souls to this church. The people that are coming through these doors, they are asking the very real question, is this a church where I can make friends? It sounds so silly, it sounds so childish and pitiful, but it's so critical. Are you going to be a church? Are we going to be a church? Am I going to be a pastor? Are we going to be a staff where friendship is in focus? Not just to be a country club, but as Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, to be a hospital for souls. Jesus understood 
that if he was going to put together a church that would last, it was not going to be built on his sheer miraculous power. But it would be built with a society of those who had entrusted their souls, not just to the God who saves and the God who forgives, but the God who constitutes a new society around them. The Pharisees never could figure this out. Jesus went into the home of people. The Pharisees simply discounted and said, they are not worth being our friends. And Jesus said, you're foolish because you don't know how to evaluate true friendship in this world. True friends are not just those that you can go to dinner with after church or go out golfing with after a long week of work. Friends are those that will sit with you when no one else wants to and will stick with you through thick and thin, who value the things that you value that are positive for you as a person and who discount the things that you have deemed negative for you in terms of your spiritual growth. Friends are those friends, not just who live life in this world, but also have a vision with you of the heavenly calling God has given you through Jesus Christ. Matthew came to understand this first and all the rest of the disciples with him. In my personal devotions, I was reading from Acts chapter 2, and before Pentecost happened, I was interested in that first verse of Acts chapter 2, which simply said they were all together. (laughs) Jesus was ascended. He was gone out of the picture. Pentecost had not yet happened. They were all together in that upper room. And the only thing they had at that moment before the church was born was each other. But whatever it was worth, it was worth them being together. And I think about this church. I think about the church throughout the world. This morning, Shepherd of the Desert has the privilege of hosting a group of seminarians that are coming, flying in from St. Louis. They spent yesterday at Christ Church uh, down in Phoenix, Jeff Shrink's little place. And uh, tomorrow they'll be at uh, Christ Church down in Greenfield and up at Anthem, uh, the church there. But the value that the seminary expresses is that in this world, if we are going to succeed in the callings that God has given us, we have to have a broader sociology. You learn ministry not just by going to the seminary and living in some beautiful buildings and reading some fabulously insightful books, you also learn by being among people who are supportive of you. And Shepherd is one of those places. I'm grateful for that. I get to spend some time with them this afternoon, about three and a half hours, pray for them. (laughs) Three-hour sermon, can you imagine? Um, But we're going to have a great conversation about what it means to lead a congregation through a transition because a lot of these seminarians, when they get called into the ministry, they're going to go to congregations that, like Shepherd, are in seasons of transition. And they need a wider shoulder of social support in order for them to succeed in that work. You see, change can take many different forms, but the necessity of a social network never changes. And so the question 
What's the change that's taking place in your life? What's the social network that's necessary for you to make that change? You know, last week, um, I began the message by underscoring the theme of identity. That in Christ, before any change really takes place, the greatest change is our identification with him as our Savior and Lord. Through baptism, he calls us to be his child. Through faith, he empowers us to live as light for this world. And I want to return to that before I end this message because the greatest threat to any, any significant and sustainable change in our life is that the effort becomes completely placed on us. And so as we leave this message and before next week when we close out this message series, this season of change worship series, I just remind you of this. Changes in life will come and go. That's why it's called a season of change series because change happens in seasons. You go through one season, you navigate a particular change, and then another season comes and you've got another set of possibilities and options and challenges before you. But what remains is who you are in Jesus Christ. The favor that God has put upon you through the gospel that cannot be removed from you, no matter how successful or how failing you may be in navigating these seasons of change. You see, that identity, that identity is resting in the faithfulness of God. Your calling is anchored to who Jesus says you are when he calls you a brother or a sister or in today's language when he calls you his friend. You are a friend of Jesus Christ. You are you are part of God's family. And that truth is what keeps us strong and courageous through every catastrophic chapter of our story, through every moment of scintillating success. This is the truth that has to always be front and center when we wake up in the morning when his mercies are new, when we put our heads together or to bed at the end of the day when the fever of life becomes just a little bit less for at least another eight to 10 hours of sleep, God willing, God willing, we get that much blessing of sleep. So my brothers and sisters, as we come to the conclusion of this message, would you bow your hearts and heads with me in prayer? Dear God, be our consolation and be our wisdom, O oh God, so that we may choose wisely the friends that we set around us. As we uh, think about that circle of friends, oh God, give us courage to make new ones who will be a greater source of spiritual support. Give us courage, oh God, to shed old friends who do not show that kind of character we need in order to grow in the character and grace of being a child of Jesus Christ. And bless this congregation 
We certainly want to be a beacon of faith and righteousness. We also want to be a community of friends. So help each of us receive new members to this congregational community each and every day more and more as real and true friends. In Jesus' name, amen.